So we have Adam Henry. He's an executive producer at Netflix. He started his career as an animator in the movie Iron Giant, and then as a director and storyboard artist at Nickelodeon. He worked in movies like Kung Fu Panda, and also at Ringworks in projects such as How to Train My Dragon TV show and Jurassic Park. And now Adam is part of Netflix with Dogs in Space TV series. So Adam, that's very few words, but that's a big career. So please walk us through the path of your career and tell us how it was when you were an animator. Did you miss it? Did sure, you miss sure. It? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I went to CalArts, which, you know, was kind of the sort of the top animation school in the, you know, in the nineties, I guess it still is to some degree, although there are a lot of other good animation schools now and, and you can really learn it on your own anyway, but it was a great place to start my career. Cause um, it's interesting. If you go to school for animation or probably for any profession, a lot of the people you end up going to school with are then the people that are now also disseminating into the business. And so mm-hmm. my two years at CalArts sort of gave me sort of a tribe to sort of, launch my career into, you know, so it was a really positive aspect of that. But yes, I did assume I would be a 2D animator forever, <laughs> um, you know, because it was Iron Giant was pencil on paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I loved that movie. It was thank true. you. Thank yeah. you. That was definitely, you know, an early highlight. And when I was there, I, you know, I was at Warner Brothers for five years and I was like, this is great. I'll just do this, you know, work at Warner Brothers forever and it'll be awesome. But then as you all know, 2D kind of died in the late 90s and everyone had a choice of, you know, you could keep animating, but on the computer or you go into story. And I always liked story and I always liked drawing. And I think even more than story, I didn't want to stop drawing because when you go into storyboarding and directing, you can, you know, you're still drawing on paper. And then when you get the Cintiqs came along, you're still drawing on the Cintiqs. So I still feel like I'm still drawing um, for the most part. So that was, you know, that was my transition. And that was, you know, a little challenging to go from animator to sort of really learning the tools of storyboarding. Because at the time, it takes like three, four, five years of boarding a lot to really mm-hmm. be ready for all the jobs that you get. Because for like the first 10 years of my career, I felt like every job was like, oh, I have to learn a new style of boarding. Or this time it's action. This time it's comedy. This time it's or the explorer this time it's how to train your dragon there's so many different aspects of like storyboarding and styles and every show of course as you know you know every show has a different style of drawing and so not only do you have to sort of bring your skills of storyboarding you have to now adapt your whatever style you draw to the show and that can you know and everyone has a certain style of drawing and mine was always on the looser side So any show that was kind of along those lines went really well. Shows that were a little like you had to draw stiffer, straighter, cleaner um, was always a little more challenging for me. Um, Prime time I always found a little challenging because there's really less boarding and almost character layout where you're like doing the animation drawing and Mm -hmm. overseas is just tracing what you've done (laughs) for the most part, as opposed to other shows where you can just do kind of crazy, fun, rough stuff. And then, you know, they animate it off of that. Yeah. But um, but, you know, I was in the story track now, so I left animation, so now I'm in story. And, um, you know, the journey of story is, you know, revision, storyboard artist, director, supervising director, you know, uh, producer, showrunner. And then if you get really lucky, you know, pitch your own show, sell that, and now you're, you know, really in charge of everything. Um, like my most recent show, Dogs in Space, 
was the, mm-hmm. there was a creator, Jeremiah, Jeremiah Cortez, sold the show to Netflix. But he'd never, um, worked, he'd never worked in animation before. He actually got the call that he uh, sold the show when he was driving a forklift. Um, <laughs> that he'd like sold the show to Netflix. You know, he'd been involved in animation. He'd done some teaching, you know, and he'd been a character designer, but he hadn't worked in the business. So they had him interview a bunch of people and we got along really well. And so I came in as the, you know, the grizzled old veteran to, uh, you know, make the show for and with him. Um, and I've done, I did that on She-Ra at DreamWorks also. There was a young um, showrunner, Nicole Stevenson, um, or Noelle Stevenson, sorry. Um, and uh, so they brought me in again to help her run that show. So you get to a certain point where you sort of start helping people, you know, make shows, which is a really rewarding experience also. So that's kind of been my track, but it's been... I probably have been in 30, maybe 40 different jobs in 22, wow. in 22 years. And that's something I think everyone, you know, that's what I learned fast is like every job ends. <laughs> um, yeah, that's every true. job ends. That's every funny. job ends. Um, so you're always looking for the next gig. And that's for some people, I think that's really stressful. And it was kind of a little stressful for me, more so for my wife at the beginning. I think she was at first, she was like, what, we're unemployed, you know, and then... <laughs> But again, <laughs> again, um, but now, now, I, now I tell her, oh, you know, this job's ending. And she's like, ah, whatever, you'll find something, you know, so, <laughs> yeah, um, she's, she feels a little bit better about it now. But, um, you know, it's a challenge. Um, it's a challenge. Yeah. The other thing is, you know, in the early 2000s, um, there weren't as many jobs. There was like, there's probably 15 percent of what it is now, like for. If there's, you know, 25 shows in 2004, there's like 225 shows out there now. So there's a lot more content. There's a lot more work. It's a great time to be in animation and be in the business. So and what is so, the role, the role, role of the executive producer? What does that role do inside a series or a movie? Yeah, yeah. For for Dogs in Space, the Netflix show that, I, that you know, that um, I just finished, Although season two is coming out later, um, it was everything it was like from development because again the creator and I got along really well, so we really were a good team, um, mm-hmm. and he really listened to me. You know, when I had you know we should do this or that, um, or this will affect production. So it was like from development through the we sat in in the writing, you know, the writers' room for two weeks. That we had like four writers come in. We sat with them and we broke down the first ten episodes of the of Dogs in Space. The production side of animation, there's like the creative side of animation, the production side of animation. The creative side is really fun. Get to do a lot of fun stuff. The production side will kill you. (laughs) Because everyone works in a box, like a thing. And that's something that young artists have to learn also. um, That one, even at my level, you know, running a show, you're going to always have bosses. Unless you're signing the check you're going to have bosses forever, you know, and when you're a board artist, you're going to have about 12 bosses, you know, looking at your work, giving notes and everything. So, you know, even though you're a great artist and you're creating, you're still creating in a box. So everyone's creating in a box and that box is production because they have, here's the amount of money to make the show. Here's the amount of time you have to make the show go, you know, and it's never enough money and it's never enough time. 
So, you know, sort of working in those parameters is always an aspect of animation that, you know, people have to get used to. And I have to, you know, sort of manage when I'm sort of in charge of everything. So there was the working with Jeremiah, the creator, getting him the show that he wanted. But then there was the production where everything had to line up. Every, you know, every every show had to sort of, you know, hit its deadlines. All the artists had to be, you know, happy and, and working well and all the logistics of that. So running a show is both those sides of it. And and seeing as I grew up in, in storyboarding and directing, even as a showrunner, even though I'm in charge of, you know, five, 10, 20, 30, 40 people, I'll jump in and just start boarding stuff or I'll finish directing an animatic for a director if they're crashing and burning. So, but every showrunner kind of comes at it differently. There's writers that are the showrunners. So they don't, you know, have that capability. They usually have a creative, producer under them that is helping the production or you have like a character designer who sold the show now he's you know and he doesn't know story so every show even though they're all kind of doing the same job they come at it from different angles and have different strengths and weaknesses um, at this point in my career I've done pretty much everything you know from writing wow. to pitching to boarding to directing to animating it's a lot to, of experience to post-production you know there's you know there's kind of three parts to animation as you probably know, you know, there's pre-production where you're mm -hmm. writing it, boarding it, getting the animatics all up and mm -hmm. running, and then you ship it off to, you know, Canada, the Philippines, Korea, um, South America, and then it gets animated there. And then it comes um, back, then it comes back all fully animated, and now you have, you're in post-production, so you're doing the music, you're doing the sound, you're doing, you're sort of retiming everything, you're doing, you're doing the color, so there's a lot of back end stuff, the final mix where, you know, you have like a big session where you're making sure all the levels are the same and you're going back and forth with the musicians to make sure they're doing it right. So there's, you know, that's like the third part of it and you're delivering it to Netflix or Disney or whatever. So that's kind of how animation is, is broken up. Although you tell, you know, you tell your mom and dad and you're like, yeah, I'm in animation. And they assume you're animating, you're writing, you're drawing, yeah. you're doing, you know, and you try and explain to them and they just kind of get glassy eyed and, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they don't understand a thing right so that's okay. kind of the the short long version of my right. career but when the movies are running out of money or the series that is something that you need to keep an eye on as well and how do you also get the the, the money to fund the series right. or to fund the movie it might be stressful because it's money. You're dealing with money. You have to know all the right. parameters. Again, it's the compartmentalization of animation where um, I'm the showrunner, but I'm not the money person. There's, they have line producers. They're in charge of the budget. They're in charge of, you know, hiring, the getting the salaries. And also right. they're the ones who come to you and say, we're out of money. Um, and then you as the producer have to come up with like shortcuts or ways to save money or, you know, sort of solve problem solve. Um, but generally when you're on the creative end, like I am, you're not dealing with the money. Like I know how much an episode costs or I know how much money the show has, um, or I know, you know, kind of the general details of anything, but it's, as a, there's the creative producer and there's a line producer and in animation, they're separate. Um, but you want to work really closely with your line producer so that you're going back and forth and, and you don't want to be surprised one day with like, we're out of money. You want to know, Hey, three months from now we'll be out of money. Then you can solve the problem. You don't want to, 
you don't want to know the day before you run out of money. <laughs> no. And, and yeah. it's, it's, it was kind of a, to me, it was kind of a joke at, uh, when I was at one company where, you know, I would say, look, we're going to be out of money in three months from this show. And they'd be like, ah, don't worry about it. They won't <laughs> listen to you until you're out of money. And then you go to them and say, we're out of money. And then <laughs> they reach into their drawer and they pull out a bunch of cash and just throw it at the show again. So in, <laughs> So kind of the the philosophy in a lot of shows is, you know, they they won't fix it until it's on fire. If someone has an idea and builds and works on, an, on a Bible and they have all the characters and they have the texturing and the lightning of those characters and they have the love lines and everything ready as far as the Bible format. How does this work? I mean, this kid, this professional, this small company in Latin America, where they should go? what's the best suggestion yeah. you can give? All right, yeah, so let's get into sort of pitching shows because I feel like it is two separate things. It's sort of like, are you working in animation where, you know, you just work on your portfolio, work on your skill set, you know, become a great character designer, a great BG painter, or a great storyboard artist, you know, so you follow that track and you're just, you want to work and make money, which, mm -hmm. you know, you have to do, which is, you know, even when you're trying to create a show, you still have to do that, so... Let's say you're, you know, you're doing that track, you're creating your portfolio, you're working, maybe getting freelance in animation or working at a studio. But on the side, you want to be rich and famous. So you want to come up with a show. Um, it's hard. It's definitely hard. You know, it's like I said, Dogs in Space, the creator that I was working with, you know, he kind of knew someone who knew someone at Netflix and was able to pitch it sort of backdoor to them. And it kind of like just happened really fast. And I always tell him like, oh, I hate you so much because <laughs> it happened way too easy for him. But, you know, there are those stories. Um, but then there's stories like, you know, like a show like Phineas and Ferb at Disney. Mm -hmm. They were pitching that show for 10 years, variations on it. And they never sort of, but they're also working in animation at the time. So, you know, they had those connections. And that that certainly is a lot of it. Like, you know, being in L.A., meeting people, pitching to people, having that sort of connection. So it is, you know, animation, as you know, is still very LA based to a certain degree. But that said, I feel like creating your own IP is a great way to go. So, and this, I don't think I'm saying anything new, but, you know, doing a comic strip on your Instagram, doing videos on TikTok or Instagram or wherever you want to get it out there, creating a graphic novel. I mean, I think a graphic novel is a great way to do it. If you have a story to tell and you have the time and the skill, or you have friends that you can like write it and someone else can draw it, you know, create a graphic novel, create something online, create your own IP. Don't even think about like, I have to sell this, create your story. Cause there's so many ways to get it out there. So just create it, do it, get it out there. Um, and then, you know, there's you then you can sort of start reaching out to people. But even better is ideally people now have seen it and they reach out to you, you know, because really the best thing is like, oh, I've got 30, 40,000 followers on TikTok or Instagram. You know, that's that's what the studios are interested in, you know, having that um, sort of connection. So that I would that would be my, my recommendation. Um, if you're not like here in LA meeting people all the time and having the opportunity to pitch, if you're not inside the studios, then create your own IP. Don't worry about who you're pitching it to. Just create great content and get it out there. 
And then, you know, at that point, you know, you will start meeting people. People will say, oh, this is a great, I love your, your cartoon or I love your video. And like, you know, they happen to work in Netflix or they know someone who works in Netflix. Oh, that's great. Thanks. You know, blah, blah, blah. So you just start trying to build as many connections as you can. Because at the end of the day, you know, you're probably within three or four people of finding someone who works at Netflix. It seems like Netflix values a lot of content that comes from different parts of, of the world. And if it is original from a different part from away from the US and the UK might have its value. So what do you see the future of this uh, content development think, or the re requirements that Netflix is looking for? I think the future is outside of the United States for these larger streaming companies because Netflix, they're not going to get, I mean, everyone in America watches Netflix. They're not going to get a lot of, you know, because all, and all they care about is growth at the end of the day. Like, it always, it, sidebar, it amazes me like in a business, you made $100 million last year profit and you made $199 million profit the next year, that's failure. And I'm like, no, you made $99 million profit, but no, you have to make $101 million profit and then $102 million profit. So, you know, these companies need subscriptions and I think it's all outside of the US now. I think it's in South America. I think it's in Asia. I think it's in Europe. I think that's where, so I think they are going to be, you know, really looking for that, you know, uh, content that's not, you know. And, and for example, when you pitch the Bible or pitch to investors, what are the toughest questions that they ask usually? Like maybe in the story or maybe in the characters, they focus on their story more. I mean, well, you, I mean, you say investors, you know, but again, for me, it's more you're pitching to a studio. So maybe that maybe oh, you mean, mean the oh, same yeah. thing. You're pitching to Netflix or you're pitching to a production company like a Bento Box or a Titmouse who, uh -huh. you know, will make a pilot and then pitch it to the studios. Um, so in terms of like, like actual, like, you know, investors, um, it can happen. I was on a show in the early 2000s called Zula Patrol, which was on PBS, public uh, uh -huh. television. And the woman found $7 million investor. She was able to do like, you know, and then she also connected to PBS that said, okay, if you make this science show, we'll air it. Um, and so she was able to work it with an investor and with a connection to a, you know, and, and distributor. Um, that's possible. And it's, it's not a bad way to go. Cause it's also like, I don't know. It's like, did Cocomelon start? I think it just started probably someone invested in making those cartoons and then got it onto YouTube. So, um, in terms of like how you sell it to an, an investor, I really think it just has to be super charming and fun and probably in a perfect world because investors can't really see it until it's a finished product. If you can animate it. Um, or at least part of it, just showing them like a document, I would think is less effective than here's a minute of animation of the show. Um, so the more content you can show them, I feel like the easier it is. Or if it's been on YouTube and it's just like you're an individual or a small group and you've got 30 of these short cartoons, then I think you can going to an investor or to a studio is a lot easier than just saying, here's my idea. Uh -huh. Have you thought, have you thought about providing, uh, some kind of coaching uh, as part of your services, uh, Adam, is something that you are interested in? I mean, if someone comes to me individually, yeah. Um, I read scripts, you know, I've, people have shown me their, their pitches. Um, so yeah, but not as a, you know, as anything more than that at the moment. Um, 
but again, it's, it's, it's not easy as you know, development executives get probably a thousand pitches a year. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and maybe they'll pick three to sort yeah. of, you know, in, invest in. And, you know, that's the hard part. It's like, they've seen it all. And so I would say in terms of pitching, because you could have a great story, but it could be kind of similar or like something else. If there's any way you can make it like something they haven't seen before, that's always probably the best pitch. Because as soon as they say, this is kind of like the meeting's over, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So to really, to be honest, as soon as they recognize it as something they've seen in any form, anywhere, it's over. Adam, what about the future of your career? Where are you looking for the next five years? I mean, I've tried to pitch shows of my own. That is kind of a goal of mine, um, you know, and I'm pretty well connected. I could pitch to anyone I want, but, you know, finding that show that, you know, catches them. So I, I think, you know, in the next five years, I would love to have my own show. Um, I wrote a script for a, like a primetime show, like a Bob's Burgers, Rick and Morty, Bojack Horseman, oh, yeah. that, that kind of adult sitcom. Yeah. So I wrote, I wrote a script for that and I'm actually working on a Bible for that. So in a perfect world, um, yeah, I would sell my own show. Um, but there are, you know, there are other things at this stage in my career, you know, I love running a show. I know how to run a show. Um, my next job at Nick will be running a show, um, like that's in season seven, but they're all going to work on a movie. So they need someone to take over season seven and run that show for them. So I'm going to do that. Um, I love, you know, at this point, IP kind of interests me. There's a lot of like a lot of these studios like DreamWorks, Disney, Netflix, they have, or like even comic book companies, they have IP, they have graphic novels that they have that they'd like to create a cartoon out of or a show out of. And so I, you know, I'd like to take one of those sort of someone else's show and say, do it like this. And sort of like how She-Ra, when I was at DreamWorks, you know, She-Ra was a 1980s kind of cheesy, uh, somewhat misogynistic uh, cartoon. And, and uh, so, you know, this woman came in, a young, young writer, and she said, what if they're all like angsty 17-year-olds, you know, instead? But, that, but basically the exact same story. We, we didn't change what She-Ra was or really any of the characters' motivations or anything. We just sort of dove into sort of the way a 17-year-old were. It was like more emotional and more, you know, internal. Whereas the 1980s She-Ra was more, you know, just sort of ah, fun, cartoony drama. Um, so... So she took IP and she gave it her own spin and they loved that and it turned out really well. So that's another thing I like to do, taking IP and doing something would be fun. Running my own show is always fun. Um, You know, managing people is, um, I once asked a showrunner, what's the hardest job of running a show? And you think, oh, you know, the creative or the budget or, you know, the production, it's the people. People Mm -hmm. are always the most challenging and the hardest part because you have like 30 different people and you know, managing them, especially in a pandemic, you know, can be challenging because everyone sort of has personal things going on that can affect their art. And you have to be really attuned to how everyone's feeling at the end of the day. Um, Because animation will just grind you out. It is a hard job. I love it that it's like one of the few things out there that's still, it's an art job, you know, it's, you're drawing. There's not a lot of areas in where you can make a lot of money and just draw cartoons or 
So it's great in that, but you know, the time and the budget that they give for the cartoons are very tight and everyone's working, you know, anywhere from 40 to 70 hour weeks. It's, it can yeah, really, it can really burnout is a real issue and some people handle it better than others. So you have to always be aware of that. And also the other thing, you know, as a manager is it's, what's interesting is, and again, in pandemic, of course, it's even harder, but you know, communicating, like make, mm-hmm. I, there would be a lot of problems and I would be at a, at a certain point, I would just say, okay, everyone stop. Everyone has to get in a room and talk now. Cause it's like this person talking to that person, then this person's doing this and they're doing that. And everyone's annoyed with that. And, and it's just <laughs> like, everyone now stop and talk about it together in a room until right. the problem is solved. And then you can kind of move on to the next problem. So I feel like, yeah, communication, it's kind of a cliche, but. Um, communication in a in a company and in a in a production is super important and it's you know when you're sort of the creator or the showrunner you know i read an article on a live action producer who's a creator of shows and he said every single day i have to say what my vision is you think you can say this is what i want the show to be this is my vision and then you're like done he said no every moment every day for the entire length of the production you have to tell people what your vision is what you want yeah, uh, and that's the only yeah. way to get. Otherwise, it just it doesn't doesn't work. Well, great, Adam. We're coming to the end of the show, so um, it would be very nice to hear your words for the Latin American professionals and people that might be interested in following that path. Uh, something similar, or I just as I just mentioned at the beginning, not putting their dreams in their backpack and just forget about them. Right. So, what do you have to say to all those people? Well, one, I think, you know, on LinkedIn, I'm looking at all the artists that are posting on LinkedIn, you know, and if I see someone I like, I follow them, I connect with them. And, you know, down the road, if I need someone, you know, I'm going to go through my LinkedIn people and see, okay, this one's a great board artist. This one's a great painter. I'm going to like track them down and see if they're free wherever they, at this point, wherever they live. So don't think that you're stuck away in some faraway place, you know, or far away from L.A., um (laughs) yeah not far away from where you are but you know um far away from where you think like the hub of where it's happening is you know just you know work on your craft and get it out there and um try and make as many connections as you can in the business you know it's all like i said you want to find your tribe you want to find your people you know find your people build that sort of community um and it takes a little sort of getting out of your own space to do that um but as long as you do that and you pursue your art and you're you know you're a good artist um you know i think you can find a way to you know work in the business so there's at this point in the world there's no reason to stop anybody from um being a good artist and you know like if you want to be a good artist you don't just like oh I, i'm gonna do this art you know i'm gonna paint with pastels if you want to get into animation study animation study animation artists find storyboards by people that work on avengers the movie or whatever you know and copy that stuff and draw that and figuring out figure out how are working people in animation what does their art look like and you know at the beginning when you're just learning you're just mimicking it but eventually you'll kind of find your own style but it's definitely you know working in animation working in the business is a style of art it's not just doing your own thing it's like, you know, knowing how to turn a character properly. If you're a character designer, like you need like, sometimes it's like 12 drawings of the character turning slowly in costume. I mean, that's a hard thing to learn, but if you have that skill, you can get a job. 
So, you know, there's a very much a technical aspect to working animation and just pursue that technical side and track down those artists that are online that you can see what they've done and see if you can, you know, mimic it and then do it better.